Hey everyone, Dave Broadback here. This is the uh, audio for a lecture uh, in Psychology 3256, Advanced Univariate Statistics. It used to be called Design and Analysis 1, but we didn't think that name was scary enough. Also check out the uh, YouTube uh, videos of uh, these uh, lectures. I guess I've now just committed myself to doing the YouTube videos. Anyway, check out my YouTube channel and you can find them there. Or also at my blog, people.ac.ca slash broadback slash blog. like statistics. Previously on multiple regression. Uh, so I was talking about these different kinds of sums of squares last time, type 1 and type 2. The important thing is if we're just looking for extra variation, accounted for, we're going to use type 2s. Type 1s allow us to, type 1s allow us to actually calculate type 2s if we're doing that. Okay? So when we're looking at a given variable, we're just going to look at the type 2 sums of squares. And you'll see the kind of things I'm going to talk about today are going to look just at those. So why do you care about that? And I mentioned this, I think, last time. If there's no correlation between the variables, type 1s equal type 2s. If there's a correlation, type 1s don't equal type 2s. That's really... So it's, it's a diagnostic tool we use when you determine what variables to leave in a model which wants to drop out. We'll get more on that later. So, what can type tools give you? This is the, the thing, right? Like, why would you care what, what kind of information they're giving you? Type tools give you the extra variation accounted for by having a variable in the model given the other ones are already there. So they're talking purely about extra variance accounted for, which is what you want to do. You want to, if you're going to put a new term in the model, you want to make sure that that new term is explaining a lot of variance. Right? So you want to be sure that new term is explaining quite a bit of variance. This gives us something we call coefficient of partial determination. Which is just a measure of this. A standardized measure of extra variance accounted for when adding a new variable to a model. You ever heard of a partial correlation? Yeah. This is when you do a regular Pearson correlation and then you have other things statistically controlled for it. It's the square root of the coefficient of partial determination. So the big R squared is the coefficient of multiple determination. It's telling you about the whole model. Just R is telling you about the... I'm sorry. The coefficient of partial determination is telling you just the extra variation accounted for by adding a new variable in the model. Okay? Alright. So, the coefficient of partial determination is extra variance accounted for by, in the model by, by adding an extra variable. So how much extra variation Y are we explaining by adding an extra variable? Because what we're trying to do is explain variance in y with some linear combination of some numbers times values for the x variance. Okay. I've now had five slides in a row that said almost exactly the same thing. I'm trying to get this home to you. <laughs> what it's doing, what these type 2 sums of squares, what which we use to calculate the coefficient of partial determination. What it's doing is just telling us if we've 
When we add another variable in, is it worth our while to leave it in? Is it accounting for enough variance? Okay. So I may have gone through those slides quickly, but they all say almost exactly the same thing with different words. So you swear that you get a partial correlation, which I talked about. It's pretty useful. Or square root of that, actually. Yeah. So I think the square root of that's square. Okay. As again, I also mentioned. So, why does this matter? Again, think about the model. The model says y hat equals v sub 0 plus v sub 1x sub 1, v sub 2x sub 2 plus dot dot dot, v sub p minus 1x sub p minus 1 plus e. That's what our model generally says. The question is how many. What is P, P minus 1 equal? How many variables are we going to have in our model? There's nothing in there, by the way, about two variables acting together. There's no, nothing in there saying that, oh, plus the overlap of these two. It's, in, it's, it's the amount of variance accounted for by the individual variables on their own. There's nothing in there about overlapping variables. There's no plus B3 times X1, X2. There's nothing like that. Right? It's all single variables. It's a, what's called it's first order, right? It's not like you're squaring anything. It's not like you're multiplying anything. We just have some coefficient, the betas, the b's, times whatever the value of x is. It's not if the value of x is 7, then everything changes. It doesn't say that. Or, or whatever the number would be. So there's nothing in there but two variables together. So, in other words, we've got to make sure we're accounting for unique variance. And when we don't have unique variance accounting for, in other words, when we have overlap of predictor variables, we have some problem because it's not in the model. And that problem is called multicollinearity. So it's got a name, but I'm not going to commit to nominal fallacy by saying I've explained it by just giving it a name. So it has the name multicollinearity, and that is a problem because there's nothing in the model about overlap of variables. But two things happening together. There's nothing in there about that. It's all linear combinations, linear combinations of coefficients times the x's, the x the levels of the x's. Okay? Questions about that? Does that make sense, right? Because there's nothing there that says x1 times x2. Or whatever. It's just x1, x2, x3, yada, 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 x sub e minus 1. There's no, there's nothing in there about overlap. What, so where's the any overlap variance going to go? To e. Error. And we don't like error. We want that to be small. Right? We want that to be small. Questions so far. So what you're doing if you actually have multicollinearity is you're violating an assumption. And we all know that violating an assumption is a bad thing because it makes, makes error bigger. It'll change the bees. So it'll make, them, make the predictions, the values you multiply times 
each x variable, it'll change them and make them inaccurate. So you might think, well, how in the hell will we better make sure we don't have any multicollinear? And you're always going to have some. You just don't want to have very much. But think about the absurd example. We wouldn't put the same, we wouldn't put a variable in height in centimeters and height in inches, because they're accounting for exactly the same variance. That'd be ridiculous, right? So we have to have a way to detect multicollinearity. Well, the first thing you can do is just look at the correlations between the variables. You can just appear some correlation. A correlation matrix. It's easy to do. Any spreadsheet program that. And take a look at the X variables and say, oh, do these correlate? Or are they not correlate? They're all going to correlate somewhere. It's exceedingly unlikely that they're not going to correlate at all. Exceedingly unlikely. But you don't want to look at them and say, oh, look, X1 and X3 correlate more than either of them correlate with Y. Well, you probably want to throw one of those out and not use it. You might chuck a variable, which it feels bad too, because you've collected all these data, and I mean, you might have hundreds of records and maybe 20 or 30 variables, and you say, Oh, I thought that was a great variable, that's got a problem. So it's, you gotta do what the numbers tell you to do, you can't go through that. <laughs> so you're probably going to have to get rid of something. Sure. Questions so far? So all this is just those last like ten slides were all about the same thing. Do we want it? We want to look for unique variants, and if we don't have it, we don't want that variable in the model. That's another assumption. We assume a linear model. In other words, this plus this <coughs> this plus this with a a line that is expressed just as a straight line. It's a, it's, a, it's a straight line and then another straight line making like a, a surface like a piece of paper. With a hyperplane, uh, you can't imagine it, but it's basically saying everything has to be single things added together. There's no multiplication. There's no weird kind of bumps in the middle. So what if your relationship isn't linear? And this happens a lot. We can think of a lot of things in psychology that aren't linear. Um, forgetting curves aren't linear. Okay. You do most of your forgetting in the first few minutes, and then it goes to acid, right? You think of reaction times, doing a task, and you get fatigued, and your reaction time goes up and up and up and up and up. And then it's then up. So you can think of a lot of those cases being like exponential curves. You talked the other day with Yerkes Dotson law, and you've heard about that before, right? The best amount of arousal to, to do a task. It's somewhere in the middle, and that's a parabola, it's an upside down parabola. That's, and if you remember your grade 10 math, an upside down parabola is a second order law, uh, equation, right? It's y equals something, something x squared. Well, that's not linear, that's not a straight line. So we're going to do something about that. Oh my god, what's that? Y equals lambda sub zero plus lambda sub one x times e. All that's saying is that this is a um, exponential equation. It's an exponential line. 
Do an exponential curveness, it's going to go way up very fast. It's got an exponent in this. That's all that is, it's an exponent. Okay? Are you concerned? Don't worry. Yep, exactly. When you actually hear about it, it but it's not straight. It's like okay, that. I was going to say, is that not linear? No, because it's like it's it's like something like something like this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Reaction times do that all the time. Okay. Right. If you went to the thesis uh, conference, right, and you heard Samantha Brown, one of my students, speak about her task, and she used she didn't say this in her talk because she wasn't it was a general audience, but she was using reaction times, and she fixed it because reaction times that doesn't look right; it's not a straight line. We want nice things where the variance is the same all the way through all that stuff. You remember how to fix those kind of things? You take the logarithm. So you might scream, but it actually turns into a beautiful, if you take the logarithm on both sides, hey, look, it's a linear, we can turn it into a linear equation. Uh, beautiful. Because if you've got log in front of every turn, you can then uh, drop the logs, which of course, as we, when I was like grade 10 math and learned that, we all go, because <laughs> we were idiots. I see some of you giggling right now, so maybe we're all idiots. But pretty easy. That's now we just turn something that isn't linear into something linear. That's pretty cool. That's pretty neat. It's called an intrinsically linear regression model. It's intrinsically linear. It can be made linear with a simple mathematical transformation. Okay. We can do that with a parabola. Right? We can do that with an exponential function. We can do that with a, with a logarithmic function. We can turn them into straight lines. All you're doing is, is the same as the transformations we talked about early on in the course. You're just turning, you're changing the units. So it's totally doable. Not everything is intrinsically linear. Okay, so just because you might see, let's say you decide you're doing a thesis research next year or something that you want to do, that you do something and you look at the data, you go into a regression model and you look and you say, that's all over the place. It's not, there's no straight lines. You aren't straight lines. Well, I can turn it into a straight line. No, you may not be able to. It may actually be that it's just not straight, it's not intrinsically linear. It's not something we can transform. It's not always the case that we can simply turn one variable into another kind of variable with a straight line. You might be able to, though. Go find somebody who knows about math. That's what you do. And you say, can you look at this scatter plot and tell me what kind of, what, what kind of function you think that is? And if they look at it, you go, oh, it's a third order quadratic. You go, I don't know what that means. Come talk to me. And you just, that's easy. As long as you can recognize the pattern, you can turn it into something and into a straight line. But it isn't always the case that it works like that. Okay? So we're assuming also an additive model that's this plus this plus this plus this. Right? There's no mention of interactions at all. There's no like, 
Remember, we had we heard of white x equals u plus alpha plus beta plus alpha beta plus epsilon. There's no alpha beta. There's no multiplicative terms. I think you can put in x one times x two. I guess you, you can do that. That's not something that's you know forbidden. It's tough to know what the term should be, though. Is it x1 times x2? Is it x2 times x3? Is it x1 times x2 times x3? Like, you know, it's hard to know. Exploratory data analysis can be helpful here. Past research can be helpful here. But typically, people don't do this. It can be done. It's just not something people typically do. You're trying to come up with a simple additive model. And then you said, simple additive model up until this term that's, uh, and you've got the third derivative in it. <laughs> you don't do that. It's just not done very often. Usually you're going to do this if you've actually designed an experiment, if you're looking at an experiment and you know there's an interaction. So you could analyze everything we've talked about about mouse and variance. You could do it with regression. I can tell you, in fact, that you may have noticed this when you print out an SBSS printout. One, it says intercept is the first thing. It's because it's done the regression. I'm sorry, it's done the ANOVA with regression. And it actually is assumed an interaction in parameter. Like a term in the model. So it can be done. Just So it all comes down to how do we select the predictors? How do we select our X variables that we're going to put in our model? Can you have qualitative ones? One of the beautiful things about something like ANOVA is that you can say, I can have male, female, and I can have uh, um, uh, biology. Student, psychology student, uh, sociology student. That's easy. I can do that. We can do, get an interaction. We probably saw some stuff like that on, on Friday at the thesis conference. You can look at that. It makes sense. The thing is, this thing's about numbers. It's about an equation. So, like, if the model said, let's say B1 was major, and we have three of how are we going to do that? Like, how, how's the math going to come out? It's like six times major, and major can be biology, psychology, or sociology. You can't multiply times three sociologies. What does that even mean? So qualitative variables are tough to use. You typically don't use qualitative variables. You can if they're binary. So you might say sex, binary. Okay, I don't want to get into a discussion. Okay, that's majority of people identify as male or female. Okay, and we would say, well, if it's other, we're just not going to use that. That's fine. Okay, pretty exclude anybody. Statistics. So you use zero or one. Yeah. Qualitative, just it depending on what group you're looking at. Yeah, exactly. So if I, if I say zero is, zero is male and one is female, then for sex, yeah. then I just say, oh, I see. It's a measure of femaleness. You're either not one or you are one. Can you say that sex is one and two? No, because it's biology twice the major that psychology is. Gotcha. Right? But the reason we fix that, it's really annoying, but there's a way to do it. 
So it's, it's all, you can't use one and two, then use zero and one, because remember, it's quantity of something. So if it's zero for, for female, or for male, and one for female, we're saying it's actually a measure of females. Okay? You have none or you have some? Okay? So that's what we're saying there. On the other hand, because how are we going to do something with three different possibilities? Three different possibilities. So, biology, psychology, sociology. How would you do that? Any ideas? Tough, right? Well, instead of, we can't use zero, one, and two. You might think that's like, no, that's not going to work either. So sociology zero, psychology one, biology two. It doesn't make any sense. Because remember, we, at the end we get an equation. So what are we going to do? Well, there's actually a way to do this. And the way you do it is something called dummy coding. So... And again, here we have to say we can't have double majors, we couldn't have, so it have to be just a psychology major, biology major, sociology major. So we have a variable called psych. And a psychologist, a psychology student gets a one in it. And then we have a variable called biology, and they get a zero in biology, and a sociology, they get a zero. So we actually have to set three new variables. It's really annoying. And then we say, okay, how do we code a biology student? Zero, one, zero. How do we code a sociology student? Zero, zero, one. Make sense? So dummy coding allows you to code quantitative, I'm sorry, qualitative variables. As you can see here, if you've got like five quali- uh, different levels of qualitative variable, now we suddenly have five new variables. What a nightmare to tell. What kind of I don't want that, but it's the only way to do it. It's the only way you can fix this. Hey, you look like you want to ask a question. I just, I want to make sure, this is probably like, that's what you're probably thinking, like, why are you, you know, putting your mouth? But are we looking at this in, like, a column? Yeah. So this is like, you just need to be a record. So this is, um, everybody in this room... Because you're all psych majors. Yeah. Because I looked before class to make sure, because no one takes this course for fun. Once. Twice, sorry. Twice in my career. One math student and one biologist student. I hope so, okay, so here we go. We can code. Let's, let's, uh, so what we got? Right. So we said uh, one is female. So this is going to, this is Brianna right here. One, one, zero, zero. And then what's, I don't know, whatever the hell else we're measuring. Okay. And now let's pretend there is that uh, the biology student that I had years ago, I mean, Mike Kendall. So Mike Kendall, pretty obvious that his score on this is going to be zero, zero, one, zero. I think the head of psychology, uh, sociology student in this class, so I can't figure an example. But let's say it was a woman sociology student in this class. She'd be one, zero, zero, one. Now I can, because mathematically it makes some sense. It's like, oh, are you a psychology student? So it's a measure of psychology studentness. You either are one or you're not one. It's annoying as hell to do this, by the way, but it's the only way you can put this into a regression model. 
Make sense? Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of neat, right? It's, it's a clever idea. So you, you think here you've collected two, vari- uh, two variables, sex and major. You've actually collected four according to your regression. And then let's say we have one person who's a, I don't know what's uh, the one person who's a political science major, just one in your whole data. Oh, suddenly you have an extra variable. It's really annoying to do this, but I'd actually just throw that in rather than make up another variable. You have to really be careful to like the scales. We love like scales, don't we? Right? On a standard of one to seven, one being strongly disagree, seven being strongly agree, and that sounds very nasty. <laughs> it's not. If I score seven, like if it says, um, I don't know, what's a, what's a item on a, what's a good item on a, on a, on a personality type question? Uh, I don't know. I've done personality course since 1985. I don't know. Um, Extroversion? No, give me, a, give me an item. I like being the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Right? That'd be extroversion. Okay, that would help people on that imagine. So one we strongly disagree, seven we strongly agree. So I, I, I pick six, but I'm right, that's six. In a group of people I don't know. People I don't know, it's like minus 40. The next one's in the corner, I don't want to meet any new people, I don't want to know any new people. I'm 22 years old, I don't need any more friends. Totally fine. But the people I know, I like that. It's fun. I was actually out last night with a friend of mine from high school that I hadn't seen in like 30 years. And she was just in town for the night and messaged me on Facebook, hey, I'm here. So I visit her. And uh, I said, you know, my superpower is the ability to turn virtually anything into something about me. And she laughed. Yeah, I've known you since you were 14. I'm well aware of that. So, so I score six in years. Now, let's. Somebody here who's more introverted? I don't know. We'll just say it's somebody else. I'll pick someone randomly. Someone else. So, I'll spin the big wheel. And it's fine. She scores on this. She's a little more introverted than me because most people are. And she says, somewhat disagree. She scores a two. Am I three times more of whatever in this than she is? No, I don't think so. But we treat it like that, don't we? Oh, we're numbers. We're psychologists. We got numbers. And frankly, they're. Do you see what I'm saying? Like it's not. Lightning scales aren't really ratio scales, right? Remember ratio scales? They have a zero point. There's no zero point on those things. Just be careful what I'm saying to Experimental variables are great. So if I have A1, A2, B1, B2, and I've actually assigned people, that's great. Even if I have to dummy code it, because there's not going to be any multicollinearity there. They don't overlap. So external variables can be great, but you don't usually use regression to explain new experiments. It's not usually what we're after. Usually this is survey type data, or very often it is. So what we have to do is build a model. So how do you choose what variables to use and which ones not to use? That's what model building is all about. Remember, with 
de novo, we're saying this is an effect, this is an effect, this is not an effect. With multiple regression, we're, we're, we're making a prediction. We're saying y equals this number plus this number times x1 plus this number times x2 plus this number times x3. Done. So we're building a prediction equation. It's a different kind of outcome. And you usually start with quite a few variables when you do this kind of thing. Before about my friend Todd doing this stuff, where he was trying to predict people's cigarette smoking without doing a physiological measurement. It's easy to tell, I can tell you how many cigarettes you smoke a day. You have to give me a saliva sample and I have to ship it off to a lab. And that's not very good. So if I'm your doctor, right, and I take a saliva sample, I might have to wait a couple of weeks. Instead, what would be nice if I could say, fill up this questionnaire, it'll take you five minutes. And I can tell you accurately how many cigarettes they smoke. Because smokers don't know how many cigarettes they smoke. They underestimate all the time. Right? So it's nice if you, in, in fact, this is what one of the things Todd did, is he, he got those measurements. But he also got, so he could get an accurate measurement of how many cigarettes people smoke per day. But he, could, he said, I don't want to use those as variables. I now have 22 variables that are all behavioral that people can answer. And that they are accurate about. Some of them were zeros and ones. There were things like, do you feel nauseous when you have your first cigarette of the day? Yes or no? Um, could you quit today? Yes or no? So there's some binary variables in there. Others, though. What's the maximum amount of cigarettes you can smoke in a day? What's the minimum amount of cigarettes you can smoke in a day? How old will you start smoking? Questions like that, right? So he started with 22 variables. He got down to four. And he was able to predict. How many cigarettes people smoke per day by asking them? Maximum cigarettes per day, minimum cigarettes per day. Could they quit right now? Yes or no? And have you tried to quit before? Yes or no? And you can do this accurately as giving someone a saliva test. So, how would you narrow it down to a saliva test? Exactly what we're going to talk about. This is the hard part because when we get 22 variables, you look and go, well, they don't correlate with a certain number of cigarettes per day. Because they don't be that important. They might be. Right? That's the problem. Well, one thing you could do is you could try to do every possible regression model. Okay? And then look at all of them and see if it's a good model. So if we have three variables, x1, x2, x3, we have seven possible models. Right? x1, x2, x3, x1, x2, x1, x3, x2, x3, x1, x2, x3. Okay? With four variables, there are 15 possible models. That's still doable. I can look at 15 different models and I can say, yeah, that's done. That can be done. I can look at the R squareds. Sure. For 10, I don't even know the number. It's lots. And for 22, it's, it crashes computers. It crashes mainframe computers being with the problem. Because I had I gave students, my doctor's course to graduate student. Uh, I gave them that assignment. I said, just find me a regression model. Please, by the way, don't tell me what all possible regressions. Because it will just take over the computer. It was like Captain Kirk getting a computer so confused that it, that it started to smoke. Right? Which is about a third of all Star Trek episodes. So, I submit to you that Landry really would not be good for the body. So this is what happens. I kept getting these phone calls from the computer people saying, when I speak to Professor Brodbeck, it's like, oh, this is great. I'm Professor Brodbeck, though. I'm a graduate student. Did you tell your students that no, I couldn't specifically not to do this? So it becomes undoable very quickly. 
So one of the first things you can do is just look at residual plots. Oh, sorry. One of the things you can do is look at residual plots. Make sure that an x variable on its own doesn't have any weird outlier. So it's like it should be all uniform, as many overpredictions, underprediction. It shouldn't change depending upon how the x changes. There shouldn't be some weird one up here. Todd gets like a coding error, reduces a coding error, and now you see some 400 cigarettes in it. Well, that can't be true. That just can't be true. But it's like 40, and someone was tired, but it's like, well, it's done now. Because that's professional smoking, right? That's like, it's like, go pro. It's really good. You can find nonlinear relationships if it underpredicts and overpredicts and underpredicts. It's like, oh, I can't use that variable. That's not a straight line. Not have straight lines. So here's what we do. When you might think, well, we've got, we have computers. Maybe computers can do it for us. So the first thing you do, there's this method called forward selection. Forward selection is one of three automated methods I'll tell you about. You start with the x variable that has the highest r squared with y. Okay? And you don't do this, the computer does this, because these calculations are in negative. You then add the next variable that gives the biggest jump in r squared. So what it does is it compares. So if you've got 22 variables, it takes the first one that has the biggest r squared, and then it says, okay, now what which one of all the other ones do I throw in next? Keep going until the jump in R squared is not big enough. The jump in R squared is not big enough. And you might, the obvious question is, how big is not big enough? Well, you look at something called F star. I never have any notes. I'm telling you how the computer does it. It's mean squared regression for x1 given x2. Oh, that looks like... That's like two sum of squares divided by means for regression for x, y, x, two. It's is this a significant amount? It's an F test because they're both with variance. And I can tell you a little little pro tip: you don't change the defaults unless you are an expert. Just let the computer do it. But eventually, it stops. So it's not significant anymore. I quit, and it spits out a model for you. You go, yeah, here's a model. Or you can do the backwards elimination. You take all variables, and then you start taking variables out that don't explain a significant amount of variance. Okay? That's another way to do it. Delete variables that contribute the least until F star. Starts to get significant. You go, stop, no, 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 that, that's a good model, we're done. So the smallest F star, then you go back and you take out another one, take out another one. You know what's weird? Um, you would think that backwards elimination and forward selection would give you the same one. <laughs> so that's weird, and that's because of things like multicollinearity. You're going to have Oh, these automatic don't look and say, oh, these little variables overlap. They don't care. They just look at type 2 sums of squares, what about type 1 sums of squares? That's all they're doing. Oh, well, what if we combine the two into some wonderful thing called stepwise regression? 
which people think is a statistical technique, and it's actually a way to select variables. And it pisses me off when I read papers. We did a stepwise regression. Now that's not a thing. That's like saying we did an SPSS. It's a technique. It's not an actual statistical. Whoa. Statistical technique. Oh, how many pennies tall are you, Shannon? Um, so you combine the two. This, oh, that sounds great. You go forward. Check F star for each variable. So you start the forward selection. And you draw variables. So you can't know the computer is It's going to check every variable that's been added and every variable that isn't added. Then it's, 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 it's say, oh, can I now draw one? Because sometimes you put a new one in, it contributes a lot, and it overlaps with another. It's a drops one in. So you have a criteria for adding a drop. And that criterion um, is F star to enter and F star to leave. And F star to enter has to be greater than F star to leave, or the computer will just add a variable, drop a variable, add a variable, drop a variable, and it just gets caught in a loop and it'll never stop. That's something else that back in the old days, when computers did one thing at a time, uh, and someone would screw with the defaults, be like, oh, all, all of you of T now can't do any computing because some dummy in Broadback's class thought he'd screw with the defaults. That also happened. It's like, I'm sorry, I told you not to do this. So you don't play with the defaults. That sounds pretty good. Uh, thing is, none of these things, all they're looking at is apps. All they're looking at is variance accounted for, and that's not the only thing. They are looking at residual plots, see for outliers, for see for weird relationships, curvilinear relationships. They don't care about any of that stuff. In fact, my prof, uh, Dr. Spence, and Spence used to say that the only thing these three different methods, they'll give you a model, it won't be the best one. They'll give you one. So how have I ever done this? Which I've only really ever done this once for, like, in anger. I've done it for projects and stuff, for, for, for homework in school. But I haven't done homework for a long time. I did this once for a thing when I was trying to make a prediction equation for something a long time ago. So, start with a correlation matrix. This is your first thing. Look at all the variables and you say, okay, I'm going to throw out 20 of them right now. Because so many of them don't correlate enough with why that I care. And it's like, how much is enough? Oh, um, as much as I feel like. I have to do that based on what the other variables correlate so I pick a subset of them, and I'll do, if possible, if I can say I'm happy with these five variables, I'll probably do all possible regressions. Five gives you, uh, oh, it's a number less than 50. <laughs> you could probably do it. Four would be ideal. That's doable. 15 models. I can look at 15 different regression models. And I can look at their residual plots. Now, if I come down to, like, I got seven... I'm not doing all possible regressions because I'll be there for the rest of my life. Probably literally. <coughs> so if I had seven, let's say, I'd try all three automatic uh, methods with those seven variables and the one. I'd do stepwise, I'd do backwards, and I'd do forwards. 
and I check out, and then when it comes out, if they all agree, I'm going to be pretty happy with that model, but then I'm going to check for outliers, I'm going to check for residual plots. Okay? And then I put it away for two weeks, and I come back to it and do it again. Right? Because you might have missed something. And there's this thing that happens to people, they get married to their ideas. And you think, oh, that must be right. So if I just did it again right now, I'm going to come up with the same thing. And I don't want to come up with the same thing necessarily. I want to put it away and come up with the same thing kind of organically. And that is a, a way to do it. And it's probably the best way to do it. I can tell you when I've given students those as a final assignment, say, make the best, find the best model, they all come up with the same one Todd did before variable model, because it was the best model, even though they had 22 variables to work with. And they did it basically like this. It's a nightmarish thing to do. It's a horrible task. But it has its uses for pressure. Questions on that? All right. We are done. on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using. Just search for Dr. Dave Broadbeck's Psychology Lectures at Algoma University, which is the most ungainly title ever. Uh, these are released under a uh, uh, Creative Commons copyright share like 3.0 Canada. Uh, you can't use these for commercial purposes. Um, you feel free to share them uh, and feel free to mash them up any way you want. But if you do that, that means I get to do the same thing with your stuff. Sort of like the GNU license. Um, I hope you learned something but if you didn't I 
unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcast, uh, like Podsafe Music. So if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find uh, I'll find out. Um, often I put links uh, actually in the uh, what I call them show notes or blog posts. So uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>